All right, so we're in week four of our series, Unlikely Heroes. A hero is a person who distinguishes himself or herself by doing something courageous or doing something noble. Uh, to be an unlikely hero means that you're the kind of person that did that, but nobody would expect that of you. You know, Nobody saw it coming out of you that you would be the person that would step in and do something courageous or noble or remarkable. Uh, unlikely heroes unexpectedly step in to make a difference. You don't see them wearing a cape. They don't necessarily stand out in a crowd. They're just normal people who do courageous things when the situation calls for it. I read this week about a man in Canada who was sitting in his house, minding his own business, and he heard screams outside, and he went to the door and opened it up, and he saw that a grizzly bear was attacking the next-door neighbor lady, that the bear had this lady's head in its mouth and was swinging her around like a, a, a rag doll. So he grabbed his snow shovel and went out and beat the bear and saved the lady's life. Now, he'd never been to bear fighting school. He wasn't professionally trained as any kind of a snow shovel operator. He was just, he was just an ordinary guy who was minding his own business in his house, but when the occasion came up, he stepped up and became an unlikely hero. I'll tell you another story of another unlikely hero. His name was Oscar, uh, and Oscar was a scheming businessman. Uh, he had a drinking problem uh, that led to him being arrested twice for public drunkenness. He cheated on his wife. He had two children with a mistress. At one point, he was arrested for espionage, and to top it all off, he was a member of the Nazi party. But he sacrificed everything to save nearly 1,200 Jews from death in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. He told lies to the guards. He paid bribes in order to save lives, risking his own life in the process. And you may know his name as Oscar Schindler. And maybe you've seen the movie Schindler's List. Uh, Oscar Schindler is buried on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And he is the only former member of a Nazi party to be honored this way because he was an unlikely hero. For the last three weeks, we've been looking at David, uh, a young shepherd boy that God called from obscurity uh, to do something incredible, eventually becoming the great king that he was. Um, but he was an unlikely hero. If you missed any of those sermons, I encourage you to go back to our website. You can, you can watch some of those. Today, we're gonna to be continuing our study, but we're gonna be meeting a new uh, person, a new, a new uh, individual who, as well, was kind of an obscure individual, somebody who didn't necessarily stand out in a crowd. Uh, his name is Gideon, and he was just a normal guy trying to make ends meet and provide for his family. He lived at a time when God's hand of blessing had been removed from Israel, and Israel's enemies were wreaking havoc throughout the land. So we pick it up, if you have your Bibles, in Judges chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. 
They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we read your word this, sto- this morning and, and consider the story of Gideon. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, that uh, we, would, we would, as we examine your word this morning, that our eyes and ears, and Lord, our hearts would be open to what you would have us receive. God, I believe that you're still calling people from obscurity. You're still asking people to step in and to step out in faith and to do incredible things. So God, I pray that uh, even in our midst here, that I, I truly believe that we have some unlikely heroes in this room this morning. And so God, I pray that you would, you would just show us what you'd have us to do, who you'd have us to be, how you'd have us to live. And Father, that we may bring glory to you in all that we do. Lord, we just dedicate this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the children of Israel, uh, they were very predictable. They went through a cycle that you've seen over and over again. If you've read the Old Testament, they enjoyed God's blessing as they worshiped him and followed his ways. And as long as they were studying uh, God's word and doing what God had called them to do, his hand of blessing was upon them and they did incredible things. But over time, they began to turn away from God and they would start worshiping other gods from the areas where they lived. And so then God's hand of blessing would be removed from them and then they would begin to suffer oppression. And then when the oppression got so significant, they would cry out to God for his help and for his favor. And once again, God would uh, uh, you know, accept them, they would repent, and they would, God would begin to bless them and, and they would worship him. And then the cycle would start all over and repeat itself again. Our story today, we're picking up during the oppression cycle of Israel's history at a time when, once again, God had abandoned the children of Israel. He had turned them over to their enemies. He'd removed his hand of blessing and protection from them. And the Midianites were wreaking havoc on the people. Israel would, the children of Israel, they would plant crops and, and they would care for them. They would water them. They would, they would tend them. And just about the time they were ready to be harvested, the Midianites and the Amalekites would come in. They would swoop in like locusts. They would take all of the harvest. They would take all of the crops. And then while they were there, they would kill all of Israel's animals, their, their sheep and their ox and uh, every, everything that they had. And Israel would be left with nothing. Uh, it says that they were like locusts. And when, when, when the Midianites left, the land was devastated. There was nothing left for the children of Israel to eat. And they would get desperate and they cried out to God. And it says, and he heard their prayers. This idea of crying out to God, if you look at that word there, uh, it, it indicates the fact that they were panicked. They were scared to death. The, the, the situation was bad and they needed help. You know, pain has a way of changing us, doesn't it? Pain has a way of getting our attention. It, it brings clarity. All of a sudden we go, whoa, wait, what am I doing here? And it causes us to begin to cry out to God. And, you know, we can kind of relate a little bit to the children of Israel, can't we? You ever have those cycles in your life where you're doing everything right and you're trying to please God and you're reading the Bible and doing what's right and next thing you know, you find yourself doing something stupid. Anybody else like that? Raise your hand. You know, okay, you're in good company here. All right, a lot of us do that. 
And God, God says, just repent. Just come back to me. Turn around. Change me. And if you'll, if you'll pray that, if you'll say, God, change me, he'll do that. He'll work with you. The half-brother of Jesus, a man named James, wrote this in, in James 4, 8. He said, come near to me, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will rescue you. He will help you. But you know the biggest enemy to, to that? It's our pride. It's our pride. Pride holds us back when we get into trouble. And he just says, if you'll just humble yourselves, he'll lift you up. He'll be there for you. He'll draw nigh to you. But it starts with us having the humility to say, God, I need your help. Like the children of Israel, we too at times need to repent from our rebellious ways. We need to purify our hearts before God. God wants, us to, wants to bless us, but if we continue to live in rebellion, if we continue to live in sin, he has no obligation to bless us. Instead, we need to humble ourselves, recognize the fact that we need God. And that's usually what Israel would do. They would, they would recognize that their sinful ways had led them away from God and they were being oppressed. They were being damaged because of what they had done and they would repent and cry out to God. They would come to their senses and God would intervene on their behalf. And that's what we see here in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, and where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So here's our introduction to our next unlikely hero, Gideon. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, that doesn't make much sense, does it? You think you would, you would press wine in a wine press and you would thresh wheat outside so the sun could dry it all out and clean it up. But Gideon here was threshing wheat in a wine press because he was trying to do it uh, in a covert way. It was a covert wheat threshing operation, you know? <laughs> you know, he was trying to make it so that they couldn't see what he was doing. And so it was kind of a small operation, but he was hiding and out of the blue, an angel appears to Gideon, and he greets him with a, an unusual greeting. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That would be like an angel appearing to me and saying, hey there, what's up, skinny? <laughs> <laughs> Gideon's like, well, who are you talking to? You know, Gideon, Gideon probably had a couple problems with this statement. Number one, it didn't feel like the Lord was with him. And number two, he didn't see himself as a mighty warrior. Gideon says, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You ever ask that question of God? Lord, if you're for me, then why is all this bad stuff happening? If you say you're with me and you say that you're going to bless me, why is all this bad stuff happening in my life? Or maybe this question, Lord, why haven't you answered my prayer? 
I've prayed and it doesn't seem like you've answered my prayer. You know, sometimes with our limited knowledge and with our, you know, limited vantage point, it seems like the Lord has abandoned us and maybe he's ignoring our prayers. But I can assure you that's not the case. This is the truth, though. He rarely does things the way that we think he should, right? Rarely does he do things the way that we want him to because he knows better than we know. We always want the fast track. We always want to go from A to B, straight line. And God's lines are usually like this. It's never a straight line. It's never easy. There's always, but God is, God is more interested in working on us than he is in fixing our problems. Gideon pushes the angel a little further in verse 13. He says, where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? I'm not sure I would have had the courage to be kind of uh, snippy with an angel. I think angels were kind of uh, intimidating. Uh, you know, the angel there was probably pretty scary looking, but Gideon didn't care. He's like, you know, so where, where are all these wonders? Because all I see, Gideon says, is, is death and destruction. The food is gone. The animals are dead. Our families are dying. The kids are starving. So pardon me if I'm having trouble seeing all the wonders here. You ever had a frank conversation with God? That's kind of what Gideon's doing here. He's kind of having a frank conversation with God, isn't he? He's like, hey, God, I don't get it. Yeah, I just don't see it. I just don't see this, oh, the wonders of God. I mean, I, we heard about it in history, but it, we, we aren't experiencing it. And I want you to know, you know, it's okay to have a frank conversation with God. I've had a few frank conversations with God before. And it's okay to get things off your chest. It's okay to verbalize your frustration. God is big enough to handle it. I think he appreciates the fact that when we actually speak the truth and actually say what we feel and, and what we're going through, tell him how you're feeling. Gideon did, and then he went on to say, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Maybe in your life, you feel abandoned by God. Seems like our enemies are all running around and they're, they're winning everything and we're losing everything. And isn't it just amazing how quick we are to blame God for the consequences of our own decisions? For the most part, you and I are living the life that we have chosen by our own daily decisions. When good things happen, we think we're brilliant. When bad things happen, we think God did something wrong. Right? We take all the successes, we blame God for all the failures. Had they not disobeyed God, they wouldn't be in the situation they were in where the Midianites were controlling and taking over everything. But they didn't see it that way. No, they were just blaming God and saying it was all his fault. Sometimes we do that. So when Gideon finished snipping at the angel, God does the unexpected. He turns to Gideon and essentially says, you go fix the problem. You go fix the problem. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? <laughs> Whoa, back up the truck here. Uh, I was just coming to tell you that things weren't working, but I didn't want to be part of the solution, you know? There's a lot of people like that, right? Oh, I'll tell you what's wrong with everything, but don't ask me to be part of the solution. <laughs> no, I just, I'm just, I, my spiritual gift is telling you what's wrong so you can fix it, right? 
<laughs> Anybody that's ever been in leadership uh, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, getting replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So often we expect God to do for us what we're unwilling to do for ourselves. You are part of the solution to your problem. Whatever your problem is today, you're part of the solution to that problem. And the answer to your prayer is probably staring back at you every morning in the mirror. So where you're waiting on God, in all reality, God is probably waiting on you. Because you're going to be part of the solution to your problem. So stop making excuses like Gideon did and start working on a solution. So, so many times people are afraid that they'll make the wrong decision, so they make no decision, and they end up stuck in a bad situation. Jim Rohn was a motivational speaker uh, from many years ago. Um, great speaker. How many of you have ever heard of Jim Rohn before? Several of you have. Great, great speaker. I still listen to a lot of his stuff. It's, it's, it's just really good stuff. But probably one of the most profound things that I heard him say uh, that I, I have just always kept with me is, is he said this. Because people get paralyzed by making decisions. What if I make the wrong decision? What if it isn't the right decision and I end up going down the wrong path? And so they end up not making a decision because they can't, they, they just don't have confidence in their decision. And I remember Jim Rohn saying this he, when, when asked about making the right decision or wrong decision. He said, it's not so much about making the right decision or the wrong decision. Make a decision and then make it the right decision. So don't worry that you made the wrong decision. Just make a decision and then work to make that decision the right decision, whatever it takes to do that. So don't be paralyzed by decision-making. Analyze things, pray about it, make a decision, and move on and keep moving forward. Sometimes God asks us to do things that we feel that we're incapable of doing. Gideon said, but how can I save Israel? How can, how, how can I do this? I mean, I can't do this. Let me tell you something I've learned. God is not looking for people who are ready. He's looking for people who are willing. Ponder that thought for a minute. God's not looking for people who are ready. He's looking for people who are willing. When I started my first church back in 1996... I felt this prompting in my heart that God was calling me to start a church. But I told God in no uncertain terms that I couldn't do it for several reasons. Number one, I was too young. I was only 26 years old. And I had this, I had this thought in my mind that, that Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30, so I probably wouldn't be able to do anything until I was 30. So I kept telling, don't ask me where I got that from, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you just think stupid things. That was one of them. Uh, so anyhow, I kept telling God that I'm too young to start a church. Secondly, I never went to Bible school. I went to business school. Um, and I just happened to get called back to my church to come back and be the youth pastor. 
And, uh, and I did that for four years when God began to speak to me about starting a church. When I started that church, I had never preached to adults before, only to teenagers. And they don't listen, so it's a lot easier. <laughs> At that time, I had never been to a church service that didn't meet in a regular church building. I'd never seen a portable church. Quite frankly, back in the early 90s, church planning wasn't the thing that it is today. You know, you aren't seeing churches pop up in schools and theaters and shopping centers like you do today. On top of that, I didn't know a single thing about church planning. I knew nothing about it. I'd never seen it, never been to a class on it, never read a book about it. And to top it all off, we had no funding. <laughs> None. We didn't have any money. I didn't make any money. My salary was $32,000. I had a family of six. You know, we had no money. Um, our home church said, well, we'll sponsor you, but here's what we'll do. We'll give you your paycheck. It was $600 a week. And then, and then the next month, it'll be $550. And the month after that, it'll be $500. The month after that, it'll be $450. And so in about six months, we're broke. So it was sink or swim. Uh, and I was scared to death. Um, I wasn't ready, but I was willing. And so I said, okay, God. And I took a step of faith. And if you question me this, Russ and Michelle, where are you at? They're, they're right here. They were there. They were, part of, they were part of the first church planting team. So they've endured some really bad sermons, right? <laughs> don't have to don't be so enthusiastic about that. <laughs> that church that we started celebrates their 27th anniversary um, this year. And, you know, we uh, praise the Lord for that. Amen. <clears throat> you know, I have found that often when God calls you to do something, you're probably not going to be ready for it, but he's just asking to be willing. Because if you're just willing, he'll give you what you need when you need it. And I'm telling you, we've seen a track record of that through our lives. So I'm going to give you some takeaways here today, four takeaways. Number one, don't let fear control your life. Fear is one of the most popular weapons that Satan uses to keep people from stepping out and doing what God's calling them to do. There's this idea that, uh, you know, God is not with us, or I don't, I don't know if God is with us. That's a, a lie that Satan likes to, to push there, that God has somehow abandoned us. Listen, God promises to be with us. You're not alone. Look what he said to Gideon in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. You see, God's presence is a powerful force. And you are not alone. When God calls you to do something, he goes with you. And he'll, he'll walk with you every step of the way. Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We need to recognize that you're never alone. God is everywhere present. He, he is. That's a part of his nature. It's, it's, it's who he is. He's all-powerful. Tells us there's nothing that he can't do. He knows everything. He's omniscient. 
So you don't need to be dismayed or confused or afraid or intimidated because a God who knows everything is with you. In the New Testament, we're told that God is with us to the end. You know, we all know the, the great commission. At the very end, it says, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. God is with us always. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has says, said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So whatever it is you feel that God has called you to do, don't let fear keep you from doing it. Recognize that God's, God's present with you. He goes with you. Secondly, lean into your calling. Lean into what God has called you to do. God couldn't have been any clearer than he was to Gideon about what he wanted him to do. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I mean, this was a pretty clear call from God. There was no ambiguity here. There was no Midian, there was no Gideon was like, I'm not sure what you want me to do here. <laughs> no, God said, this is clear. I want you to go defeat the Midianites and you're gonna kill every one of them. There was no, take some time and pray about this and, and, and spend a year or two thinking and praying about this. It was, no, it was go now, like now, go, you, you go. That's kind of what it was there. God sent him. I believe God is still calling people today. And I believe God is still sending people today. And I believe that God still wants to use common, ordinary people like me, like you. I believe he still does. He calls us to do certain things and to go certain places and attempt certain things. And at times everything works out great and at other times things fall apart. You know, that's just the way plans go in life. They don't always go the way we think they're gonna go. They take various turns, mishaps and trials happen along the way. It just, it just happens. But God is sovereign over all of the changes in lives. Every time that things didn't go the way we expected them to go, my challenge is just, just lean in, just lean into your calling. Lean into what God has called you to do, even though it maybe isn't working out the way that you, you had it strategically planned in your mind. That's okay. Just, just trust God. Know the fact that he's with you. Just lean into the situation. Remember that God is in control, not you. And move forward. Let me give you the third takeaway this morning. Move forward in spite of your insecurities. We're gonna talk next week about Gideon's insecurities. He needed proof and then he wanted even more proof. Then he started making excuses. Here's what I've learned. It's easy to talk yourself out of what God is asking you to do. It's easy to talk yourself out of it. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> Thank God for this little light. <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> it's easy to talk our way out of what God is calling us to do. Because oftentimes what God's calling us to do doesn't make sense. You ever notice that? 
oftentimes what God, in our humanity, in our minds, it just doesn't seem to make sense. But God says, obey me, trust me, follow me. And when you do, you'll find that God will take care of things and he'll do things his way. He often asks us to do things that, quite frankly, are more work than we really feel like doing. That, when it came time to start Venture Church six years ago, I was hesitant because of this. I'm like, oh, it is so much work starting a church from scratch. That is a lot of work. Not only that, it takes more time than we feel like committing. And then thirdly, it costs more money than we feel like spending. That's often what happens. But here's my challenge. Don't focus on your inabilities. Focus on God's presence. And keep in mind the fact that he'll give you the strength to do what he's calling you to do. He'll never ask you to do more than he gives you the time to be able to do it. And wherever God guides, he provides. So if God's calling you to do something, trust him. Lean into it and believe the fact that he's going to take care of things. And then finally, and I'll wrap up with this. Make God the hero of your story. Now, over the next two weeks, we're going to study the rest of Gideon's story, and it's really a neat story, and I think you're going to enjoy it, especially if you like military strategy and surprise attacks. Uh, you know, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to tell you the whole story today. I'm going to tell you the end of the story, then over the next two weeks, I'll, I'll give you the backstory and fill it in. Gideon eventually obeys God and secures a great victory over the Midianites. It's a great story, but here's what I want you to know. When God calls you to do something and you do it and God gives tremendous success, remember that it is God, not you, that did it. Judges 7, 7. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, We'll explain that next week. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. You're going to see in the rest of the story that he defeated over 100,000 Midianites with only 300 men. Not because Gideon was a master strategist, not because Gideon had uncommon knowledge, not because Gideon had a secret talent. Gideon defeated the Midianites because God gave the Midianites into his hand. You see, God is the hero of Gideon's story. And can I just be frank with you this morning? God should be the hero of your story. And God should be the hero of my story. I am what I am today, not because of what I have done because of the successes that I've had or because of the smart decisions that I have made, but because God's favor at times has been upon my life. And anything good that's happened has been because of God. And he is the hero of my story. And the success that you've had and the achievements that you've accomplished in your life, can I just encourage you to make God the hero of your story? Don't go around collecting the praise of man because the praise of man is only going to bring out pride. Look at me. Look at my success. Look at what I've achieved. I'm a brilliant person. I'm wonderful. God resists the proud. You want a stiff arm from God. Start, start praising yourself because God is going to get away from that nonsense. 
but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those who give him the glory for everything that's been accomplished. So if you've been blessed by God, make sure that you're making God the hero of the story. To God be the glory, great things he has done. I believe God's still in the business of calling on unlikely heroes. And I believe that there are some unlikely heroes right here today. And that God is preparing you and God is going to speak to you and God is going to call you to do something significant. I don't know what that is. Some of you right now, maybe your palms are sweaty and your heart is racing because you're like, oh, I've been feeling this and would he just move on? Just close in prayer and let's get out of here, you know? Because you know God's tapping you on the shoulder and he's been tapping you for a while. But you've been resisting. You've been making excuses. Can I just say, just say yes to God. Just say, okay, God. As long as you're with me, I'll step out. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll give. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. Whatever it is you're calling and leading me to do, I'll, the answer is yes. And then my, challenge, my second challenge to you is look for opportunities to be that unlikely hero in people's lives. Look for that opportunity to be the one that unexpectedly steps up and steps out and steps in to the situations that you encounter. Don't let fear hold you back. Just step out and be a hero. This world needs more heroes. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would do something significant in our community, in our church, in this church family. God, it is highly likely that you are calling some people here today or maybe joining us online to do something significant, to do something that challenges them, maybe it scares them, intimidates them. God, I pray that as we see from the life of Gideon that we would just be willing to say, God, if you're there, I'll go, I'll do it, I'll surrender, I'll say yes to whatever it is you're calling me to do. God, I pray that you would rise, raise up some unlikely heroes in this church and that, God, that we'd make a difference in this community. God, it's been our prayer since we started this church six years ago that you would spark a movement of God in this community. And God, I pray that you would use us to do that. May we be a part of it. And God, we'll, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory because, God, you are the hero of our story. And we praise you, we worship you, and we thank you for your goodness. And we love you. Lord, we love and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.